Hello there, and welcome to this, which is our 10th free webinar of the uh, 2019 Smart Building Series. And today it's in conjunction with J2 Innovations, and we are discussing simplifying building automation by leveraging semantic tagging with a new breed of software. Um, and I'd encourage you all um, to download the handout, which is available um, on, the, on your console. Uh, for those listening to the event, I will uh, make that a link to that document available as well. And that is a new white paper that we've just um, published in conjunction with J2 Innovations. And here today to talk about that is Chris Irwin from J2. Hi, Chris. Hi. How are you doing? Hi, James. Yeah, great. Good. Well, well, I'm very happy to have you guys um, on the call today and to um, discuss this uh, very interesting topic. So just before we get started um, and before Chris introduces himself, just do a little bit of housekeeping. Um, so first of all, uh, we want to make this um, as interactive as possible. So um, please um, ask us some questions. A uh, way to do that is to type them in um, and send them to me. I'll get them here. And uh, what we'll do is after... Uh, Chris and I have gone through the presentation. We can we can take those questions at the end. Uh, beyond that, um, we are recording this uh, session, so it will be available afterwards on SoundCloud and YouTube, uh, and there'll be a link on our website. So definitely encourage you guys to uh, go and subscribe to wherever you uh, you get your content. Um, it's also on uh, not just YouTube but also. Spotify now as well. So uh, you can find us on that medium by just searching for Smart Building Series. Um, so first off, let's, um, Chris, please introduce yourself. Sure. Okay, so uh, I'm Chris Irwin. I'm, I'm uh, currently VP of Sales for um, EMEA and Asia and also VP of Global Marketing for J2 Innovations. Um, I've been in building controls world for a very long time and, and increasingly now IoT. Spent a long time working with Tridium, also worked with the wireless energy management company um, and, and earlier on in my career I was with Trend. So had a lot of experience of, of this marketplace. Uh, but this is a very exciting time, uh, probably the most exciting time of my career with all the changes that are going on in our, in our industry. Mm -hmm. So um, very interested to uh, discuss these topics today. Great. So as I previously said, this is going to be um, um, a presentation um, by Chris um, and then followed by um, a Q&A session. Um, so Chris, please take it away. Sure. So my other title, as you can see on the slide there, is that I've been given because I've sort of volunteered to put energy into promoting Project Haystack is uh, that I'm now Project Haystack's executive envoy for Europe. Uh, so um, that's why we're talking about tagging today uh, as well as the more general issues around building automation and the changes that are going on in that market. Uh, so let's kick in to it straight away. Um, it, the evolving data problem in buildings. Uh, we have a problem. Uh, buildings are becoming more complex. Uh, there are more applications. That means more devices. That means more data. And there's a barrier or many barriers to the effective use of that data because of the diversity of the systems, the different data types, the different formats and so on. And much of that data is, is locked on hard drives, hence the graphic there. Uh, it's been stored away. We've, you know, those of you who are building automation practitioners will have been 
faithfully storing data because that's what's required these days and for a long time. But you know, how much of that actually gets used? It's not being effectively mined for its value because of the, the problems of, of compatibility of data and, and the, the, the cost and complexity of analyzing it at the moment. So that leads us on to um, discuss the, the, ch the challenge uh, of data management, uh, which we discuss in the white paper in more detail, but I'd like to cover some of that today. Um, there are um, different problems. Uh, this graphic uh, helps explain that. Uh, and let's talk through some of them. First of all, uh, as human beings, we're really quite good at remembering abbreviations and coded labeling. It's a natural thing for us, um, but it isn't for computers. So when we look at some acronym, we can kind of decipher it based on our previous experience and knowledge of the world or whatever, uh, but it doesn't work that way for computers. It's, and it's also, the problem with that is that it's quite personal. So what an acronym means to one person might mean something different to somebody else. Uh, because and we all and if you're creating such a, abbreviations if you're an engineer on site doing a building automation project and you're being tasked to decide on some uh, abbreviations to describe different uh, data types then you might come up with a different answer from another engineer or another company that's doing it um, some companies try to impose a standard across all of their engineering staff which is a great idea but even then it's confined to that company uh, their policy so there's a plethora of different approaches to this uh, and, and, and the end, end up with lots of different ways of describing the data. And it's that ambiguity that's the problem. And names really don't cut it. You know, historically in building management systems, when I go back to my early days at Trend, I think we were, I can't remember exactly, but I think it was like 16 or 32 characters in the label and we had to compress everything we wanted to say about that data uh, into that label type. Uh, and that really isn't enough. It's got, you know, the, the label strings got longer and there's a couple of other fields available in, in the way we do it now, but it's still not quite up to it. So the result is that most data produced by devices and equipment is poorly defined as to what the data means. So we know what the data is, you know, we, and we know it's a temperature, uh, um, it's got units attached to it normally. Uh, but we don't know the meaning of the data. And if we're going to do any serious analytics or indeed automation of processes, then computer software has to know about the meaning and, and where that data sits in a structure as well, which leads us on to data modeling as well as tagging. So current situation, no standardized approach to um, adding semantic data or the metadata is another way of putting it uh, to that core device data. Um, that leads to a result that at the moment, if you want to do integrations, uh, it costs engineering time. It's a labor intensive process doing translations, mappings uh, to uh, and the adding of semantic definitions. And that's something that uh, as a manual process is quite time consuming. Uh, so in order to then do some of the analysis, presentation or other value creation uh, activities that you might want to get from the data, if you do get to mine it, and try and mash it together and use it with other data types to get value from it. So this is the barrier to effective use of the, of the data, of the device data. Uh, it adds cost and it slows down the use of that data. 
It's a bit of a paradox, I think, this data. I mean, on the one hand, data is everywhere. I, I've called it in other talks that I've done in recent years, I've called it a tsunami of data. It's like a, you know, a massive wave of data, but there's just so much of it. It's then a problem of finding the needle in the haystack, and you can guess where the name Project Haystack came from. Um, but it, and that, da that data, in a way, is ready for the picking. It's, it's, it could be regarded like fruit on a tree. Let's take the data and use it. But everyone's asking for that data and being stored away. And that, that clamor for more data is increasing in our industry. Um, but they're not always understanding how and where it's going to be applied or how it affects the workflow and the business operations. So there's, there's expertise as well required in thinking about how we're going to use the data in the most effective way to really improve the business. Because at the end of the day, the data is no good unless it does something for you, unless you can distill it and refine it into meaningful information or, or actionable insights, as we say. And there's a joke that goes, well, 80% of data management is about organizing the data and 20% is complaining about having to organize the data. So it's, it's, it's a problem. It's a challenge. So if you're going to come and try and solve that challenge, how are you going to go about it? Well, um, there's a US organization called the Data Foundation set up as a result of some act of Congress, I think. Uh, and they look into how you can unify data and have a, sta a common standard for data in all sorts of fields, not just in building automation. I mean, this is just one small subset in a way of the, the greater world of data and the challenges we have. But whenever, whatever the field is, you need to think about these different aspects, the way you govern the standard, how it's managed, how portable it is, what, how consistent it is, what, uh, how interoperable you're, you're going to achieve interoperability, and those kind of things. So there's a lot of factors to consider in, in achieving some sort of standardization. But if we can do that, if we can achieve it, then we can unlock the data. Uh, we can um, simplify building automation and the use of building automation data across the whole of a smart building, you know, which is what we... Uh, many of us are, are involved in trying to achieve the, the genuinely sort of intelligent, smart, cognitive building. Applications, if you if we do this, if we succeed, then you know applications will be able to quickly find the data and interpret it automatically. Disparate systems will be able to share data much more easily. Uh, we'll be able to automatically generate relevant information for management. That it will be a less technical activity, uh, and we can get rid of a lot of manual work. Uh, so, you know, there's lots of benefits to be had from achieving a data, um, metadata standard. So, uh, and that tagline, excuse the pun, is tagging the world of data. Uh, it's a great tagline. Really, it's about how do we get different data sources working together in a, in a harmonious way, uh, in a way that software can, can then read it in a Way. So I put on here a few links that you might want to look at afterwards um, because there's there's plenty of uh, it's a completely open source uh, process and uh, you can go on there and look. So this is a, a shot of one, of one of the three links there, the website. Um, and it, what is it? Well, it's a community of people um, working to address the need for the standard semantic modeling method for device data. So semantic modeling is slightly more than just tagging. And I'm going to talk about that in the next few minutes, go into a bit more detail about what we mean by that. Uh, but it is a community. It's, you know, it's a voluntary, well, it's a not-for-profit organization uh, with members. It's a worldwide community. Uh, and the whole thing is open source. So anyone can just go on the website, download the documentation, download the 
the reference material and and use tagging. And I've met people at exhibitions and uh, internationally where I talk, start talking about tagging and say, oh yeah, we actually, we implemented Project Haystack in our new uh, site to cloud gateway thing that we were developing or whatever. So there, I've had a number of conversations like that and it is getting used around the world, even without Project Haystack people who are involved knowing what's going on because it's it's out there. So I would urge you to find out more about this um, and start engaging with it. And if you're involved in a manufacturing business or a, um, uh, or you're a consultant, then, you know, there's an opportunity here to specify this because this is in the interest at the end of the day. It's in the interest of the end users, the people who operate and occupy buildings, because they're the ones who can benefit through the life cycle of the building by having better access and usability of the data that, that is collected by all the different systems that are in that building. Chris? Yeah. Roughly how many um, companies that you th are, are involved in Haystack now? Have you got some idea of it? Yeah, sure. In fact, one of the next slides is coming up with that. So it's already uh, proven and deployed in tens of thousands of facilities. It's difficult to count them for the reasons I've just given. But there, uh, if I look to the member, oh, and it's a couple of slides down. So uh, yeah, let me just jump to that. I hope that's not going to mess up the, um, oops, no, it's going to mess up things. So let's not do that. Um, yeah, I'll come to that. But there are many companies involved in it, um, including some really big ones like Legrand, Siemens, um, and they uh, have, are deploying already, you know, Haystack compatible uh, applications across um, many countries. So, um, and then there's smaller companies as well. So we reckon between us, we reckon somewhere between 30 and 50,000 buildings maybe, but that is just a, a small beginning uh, compared with um, the potential and then total building stock that needs to uh, or want or benefit from uh, having a more standardized approach to their data management. So um, yeah, let's talk about the value creation. You know, what, what is the benefit of this? So um, what it's doing is, is giving different benefits to different ca categories of people involved with buildings. So as I just said, end users, owners and operators of buildings will benefit across the life of the building. Uh, also, it's not covered specifically in this um, these slides, but I've also had various conversations recently with people who are involved in the BIM world and the design, uh, 3D uh, design of buildings now. And they, of course, have been involved in data modeling. And, there's, and then there's a need to integrate that with the operational side. Uh, because many times at the moment, BIM is used to design the building, but that doesn't carry through to the operation of the building. But if you've got standardization with Haystack on the um, operational side, then that can be matched up to some of the BIM models. Uh, and there's a number of people and companies that are interested in that uh, linkage. And then facilities managers as well, it makes their life easier if the data sources are all in a standardized format, because at the moment when they're providing dashboarding or management information to their customers uh, and the end users, or even for their own purposes to manage the building on the customer's behalf, uh, they have a bit of a nightmare because they're dealing with so many disparate systems and, and, and data types. And of course, for integrators, there's a huge benefit, um, systems integrators who are deploying uh, systems in buildings because the tagging lets you, and I'll come on to this a bit later, um, it lets you automate some, uh, many of the processes that previously would be manual when you're configuring a system. So there's big time savings to be had from having tagging um, in the software that you're using to uh, provide the automation solution. 
And for equipment manufacturers, you know, having standard profiles for their equipment is just making their product more easy to use. And uh, that's a benefit to them as well, differentiation. Uh, it also means that, you know, when you've got many users of data, they're all using the same version of the data and the, the sources are all linked and well managed. Um, so everything's consistent and accurate and that the right data gets to the right person at the right time. So many, many benefits. Now, talking about what Project Haystack is, I've said it's about tagging and we'll go into what that means. Um, but one way of describing it is as a standardized methodology for describing data that makes it easier and more cost-effective to analyze, visualize, and derive value from our operational data. Okay, so what is it really in layman speak? Well, let's look at that. Let's look at it as uh, it's called tagging, right? So the way we understand tagging is as luggage tags on a suitcase. And if you think about it, when you go to check in at the airport uh, or you know on ferry or whatever, but mostly an airport, I guess, certainly for me very frequently on an airport, um, the luggage gets tagged and it needs to have a number of key pieces of information. It needs to know where it's starting from, perhaps, where it's going, where its destination is, how much it weighs, who owns it, you know, and, and what maybe, you know, in taking it further, you know, what the contents are and things like that. So there are needs for tagging. And can you imagine a world where, for me at the moment, if I get off the plane at the other end, and I normally have hand luggage, but if I'm putting my suitcase in, it comes out the other end on the other side of the world uh, if I'm going to Brazil or, or um, you know Peru or somewhere uh, it comes out the other side of the world and it's there on the carousel when I well, a short while after I arrive now can you imagine a world where there, that wasn't possible because every country decided they were going to have a different standard for how they handle baggage tags or luggage tags um, and then every time the bags arrived into the new country, they'd have to do a translation exercise to convert the, the, uh, the luggage tags from the, the UK system to the Peruvian system or the Brazilian system. I mean, that would take a lot longer, wouldn't it? I mean, it would be possible, but it would take a lot longer and it wouldn't be so convenient. And the reason that we have a nice, easy time of it with the luggage tags is because there's a global standard. Everyone is using the same system for all the airports in the world. I mean, that's extraordinary in a way, isn't it? If you think about the relative chaos or, or disparate and, and variety that we have in building automation in comparison to that. Um, so other industries manage it. And I think it's well overdue that our industry uh, standardizes more on its metadata so we can have an easy life uh, when things move around like luggage. And in our case, it's data. Another way of thinking of it in terms of understanding how this works uh, is to think of it as a markup language for data. Uh, so, um, if, we're, if we're every day almost on the web, uh, we're pointing our web browser at a website. And uh, before we do that, I don't have to ring up or connect with that uh, the, the company that I want to, to look at on the web and, and say, hey, look, what data format are you using? Can I display your information in my browser uh, I, you know, to interpret what the, the, um, the code is for the website? And the reason I don't have to do it, because again, there is a global standard. The industry agreed for the world markup language HTML. And that's what facilitates the web. And we take it completely for granted now. It's invisible to most people. They don't even know what it is. I mean, obviously, those of you who are technical are well aware of what HTML is, but it makes life a lot easy, easier. 
Now, as you also know, that HTML is great as a user interface. It's designed for humans, so humans can you can display the information on screen. So the analogy actually would be better if I talk about XML because that's the machine-to-machine -machine readable. But haystack tagging is like a combination because it's human readable and machine readable. But anyway, if you use HTML, I can read the data on the website, and, and actually I can also if I, I was a trained in HTML, um, then I can I've got a fighting chance of understanding. Uh, what it looks like because it's written in in uh, in English or in you know in HTML language which is based on some English. So if we um, look at it in, in comparison to device data, Haystack is doing the same thing for data. So here's a, here's the Haystack four website, and that's the home page we would see it, um, and that's the same page in HTML. So I, I so there's you see the difference the code. It's quite technical, but but it, it presents something that's really easy and enables the browser to understand precisely what's intended and how where everything is supposed to be displayed down to every pixel. So this is all about defining data and its context. Let's analyze some data. So ZN3 WWFL4 equals 21.2. Okay, so what's that? Well, it's what's the number? Is it degree C? Is it Fahrenheit? Kilowatt? Kilopascals? Whatever. Okay. Well, let's say it's degree C. Okay, it's degree C. What about what? Where is it? Is it a zone temperature? Or is it, is it a return air temperature? Is it chill water temperature? Why is it a zone temperature? Okay. So it's now a zone temperature. Well, what's the schedule for that? So we need to define the schedule for that that, that zone. Uh, and then we also need to say, well, what AHU is it serving? Um, it's HU1, okay, so that's its context, it's part of HU1, uh, oh no, sorry, if it's zone temperature, it's connected to HU1. And then what's the fan cool unit that's serving? Well, it's FCU27, and then that's just some of, there may be more data than that that you need, or metadata, and then how, how am I going to convey all that in a standard way so that other software can interpret? So that's what we're doing with tagging. We're, we're adding extra labels to the data in order to make it so the software can fully interpret it. And there are different types of metadata. We've got point names, we've got descriptive tags and association tags. What does it belong to? But it's more than just the tagging. Um, Haystack as a project is more, much more than that. Uh, first of all, it's what I've been talking about. It's descriptive data. It's a, a, like a set of definitions, words, common words, standard words that we use for these tags. But then it's also um, a structure of data and equipment model, uh, a taxonomy, which I'm going to talk about some more in case you haven't encountered that word before. Uh, and that's been developed by a consensus of the community and the various working groups within Haystack. And then thirdly, it's, uh, it's a set of software tools. So actually Project Haystack has turned Haystack's tagging into a protocol, but a, a proper metadata protocol, if you like, uh, using REST as the uh, like the communication mechanism for that. So Haystack over REST can be regarded as a protocol. Uh, let's Haystack enabled applications exchange information seamlessly and, and without uh, any um, translation going on. And there are various plugins available to different software to speak Haystack, even if they don't natively support it. And there are also various tools in the community or available from members of the community that let you streamline the process of tagging. Because I mentioned earlier that tagging can be a bit laborious. 
if you have to do it all manually. But if you have software that's smart, software that does some of that tagging for you, and then, then the whole process goes much faster. And fourthly, um, Haystack is about organizing working groups to extend the standard to make it work for more different domains within the build, smart buildings. And also it's about educating the market. So the, there's two shots on the right there. One is from San Diego, where was the conference held um, uh, called Haystack Connect back in May this year. Uh, and that's a, a very well established conference, been going several years now. But in Europe, we were only just starting. We did an event at the British Library, and that's the second shot there, uh, the first event uh, just last month. So the payoffs, what it enables. Um, applications that just work. So for example, in a building automation context, uh, within Framework, our software, you can just have a, uh, point graphics that just display. Uh, you don't have to do any engineering once the data is tagged. They just give it to you automatically, which is great for mobile use particularly. And even custom graphics can also be automatically generated by reading the metadata associated with the points. Another example is that logic can find all the similar devices that it should be applied to. So you do the logic once, the control strategy, and then you can relativize it and apply it to multiple uh, devices. Uh, also, it lets you integrate uh, different software applications much more easily because they don't need uh, humans or engineers in between to do the translations and the mappings. Uh, and that's leading, and we hope will lead to a lot more, uh, generation of engineering tools that streamline project implementation. And, and that ties in with the whole BIM thing as well, and the way you move project through the design phase into operation through handover and commissioning, snagging, and so on. So it's, it's, uh, it's already um, being adopted. We've, I mentioned that. Um, we're, we're seeing some manufacturers coming out with the next generation product, which has already a tagging profile for it, as well as being on BACnet as a, as a protocol standard, um, because tag BACnet is not enough on its own. Uh, and then uh, you've got non-building non players joining in with this. Intel, for example, is a board member of, of Project Haystack. Uh, there are already integrators who know how to do this, are trained in it, doing projects like that every day. Uh, and there's a lot of people on the forum, and we, we encourage people to join in with this debate and move it forward faster uh, as we seek to, to see things standardized and made easier in our world. And if you want to refer to it, there's also a Carver white paper on it. And hopefully the white paper that we've done recently will help explain some more of this too. So you mentioned that you asked earlier, James, about the membership. So here's the founding members, and you can see J2 and uh, were, were involved right from the beginning of this, um, uh, but also associate members. And you see consultancy like Arup, a major UK um, building services consultancy, um, and Tridium, uh, another framework provider, and many other companies um, are involved in it. You also know K and X are in there because they are looking to use uh, having discussions with uh, Project Haystack about incorporating the tagging standard into their next uh, iteration of the K and X standard going forward. There's also a, a committee now, uh, ASHRAE SSPC 135APGWG, uh, which is uh, attempting to uh, create a standard, ASHRAE standard called 223P, which is aligning and incorporating the ideas of tagging and, and data modeling into uh, the back, well, it's alongside the BACnet standard, if you like, uh, to in, extend its scope so that it does fully define all the data. And that's a process that's ongoing and there are active discussions around that. 
So I'll, um, now, in, in terms of talking about the um, the data and the evolution of data, um, we started talking about tagging. And if you think about your own way of doing filing, you initially you just have text documents and you have a database of records. But then actually you want to be able to search that, don't you? And so we now have facilities in our software for photo. You can search through your photos or your music library. So you, in, you need some taxonomies for that. But then actually you need to then have more of a structure for that. And so it evolves into mixed vocabularies. And then eventually we're going to get to uh, XML ontology with automated reasoning um, so that you've got AI able to interpret the data in the future. So I'm going to whisk through these because I'm, I'm conscious of time. Uh, but Project Haystack 4 has been a big step forward. Uh, and I encourage you to read about that. And I'll just talk very briefly about what's new about that. First of all, naming classification. Um, let's talk about name, sorry, naming first. Uh, libraries. Uh, there are different libraries required to categorize information uh, so that you, you understand it correctly because of its context. So when you're talking about data to do with a VAB, you would be in a different context than if you're talking about boilers or lighting uh, or security. So uh, you'll see what I mean by that in a minute. And then for example, if you have hot and you use the word hot, you automatically think about, well, oh, this room is hot, it's hot, it's temperature hot. But if you're in a restaurant eating a curry, then you'd have a different understanding of the word hot because you'd say, oh, the chef's made it too hot. So you need two libraries. You need one library that says IOT, oh, I'm talking about temperature, and another library that says, no, no, I'm talking about food because it's the same word. So naming matters. And again, it's just about precision and defining everything. And then we've got classification, and this is not an easy thing. Um, what are the relationships between ta uh, tags? So a substance is like a superset description, and you could have a substance being either a fluid or a solid, for example. And then a solid could be ice, but if it's a fluid, it could be gas, uh, because gas is a fluid, and li or a liquid. And then if it's a liquid, it could be petrol, water, or some other uh, refrigerant or whatever. And if it's a gas, it could be air or it could be steam. So again, this is defining a structure and this is towards uh, a taxonomy. Uh, it's a hard process. <laughs> Things don't always easily fit into the classifications that you want. Uh, hot water, for example, if you, uh, hot and water are good, you can use those tags together. But if we talk about a site meter, that's not just a site plus a meter, that doesn't work. So you have to create something called site meter because that's different from a, a, a meter that's attached to a handling unit for example. Um, so relationships as well. So when you've got a structure to the data, you also want to know how they relate to each other. So a pipe conveys water, or, but a, a, um, uh, some other tag, it might be regulating the other tag. So there's different types of relationships between different things. So uh, um, air would be ventilating a space, for example, and things like that. So that's all covered. And I've talked to you in, in lay terms about it because, but in technical terms, and this has been used in other disciplines for quite a long while, uh, life sciences and others have been dealing with these classification issues. And they would be very familiar with taxonomy and ontology, but these are new words to our industry. But these are what we're talking about with data modeling uh, and tagging. So why does it matter? Well, it's about portability and abstraction of data. 
reducing commissioning errors because you can automate things and get rid of some of the human error element. You can then do much more powerful data queries if you've got tagging and you can then create intelligent rules and we can move more towards AI if we've got that. And it lets us generate a new, create a new generation of software tools. And that's what I'd like to talk about now uh, with the remaining time um, as I'm just going to click through these because I'm, I'm short on time. But I think you've got the point. So I'd now like to talk just for the last closing minutes um, about uh, customer experience, expectations and suppliers in the industry, the manufacturers having to adjust, adjust to that. Um, if surveys that have been done say it suggests that uh, a lot of people, for 80% plus, want better visualization of their data, um, 65 or so percent of people, again, the majority of people, uh, demand mobile or location independent access. They don't want just to see it on a touch screen on the equipment anymore. They want it on their mobiles as they walk around. Um, uh, that's especially true of younger people as, who are you know, na digital natives, unlike me, uh, although I've adapted. So uh, again, the majority of people want uh, a better operational user interface experience, um, a way of doing things. And that's what we're talking about, process improvement. And then about uh, quite a lot of people expect new digital offerings. They want new cloud connectivity and other um, types of uh, more digital IoT type offerings. So what we're doing at J2 Innovations is we're, we've developed a framework in a way that meets these challenges and leverages the, the tagging and the data modeling uh, so that we have adopted for quite a few, well, right almost from the beginning, I think, a mobile first strategy. Uh, we're very much about improving workflow right from the beginning. It was how can we make things easier for the systems integrator to engineer the product project faster? And how can we give the end user a more use intuitive experience of, of working on in a browser with our graphics? Um, we're also working hard to improve the way that the data is managed. And that's about providing tools that let you do the tagging process as you import the data from KNX, BACnet, Modbus, or whatever other protocol it is, so that it comes into the software and can be tagged up and managed in a, in a better way. And of course, that means being very open and extensible. So we're trying to create a, and succeeding, I hope, in, in creating a state-of-the-art IoT-oriented framework for the future. And of course, we're making it very cyber secure because that's very important. And we're aiming with this software at companies, manufacturers, system providers, equipment manufacturers, others who need software, but they don't want to have to spend a lot of R&D resource on keeping up to date uh, with this foundational stuff that everyone needs in our, in our industry. And they want to focus on their particular business and their needs. Uh, so that's why we're, we're creating this as a framework that they can take and use to then build their customized application on top of an around fin framework uh, to uh, provide a unique offering in the marketplace. So the latest version of that is fin framework five, which we launched in August. And, and it's a holistic solution in that it covers everything from edge to cloud. Um, it's, a, it's got a control engine, for, so it can do primary uh, type control applications. Uh, and, and device management. It can also be a UI, a supervisory workstation, and it's providing this developer platform so you can extend it. And that's what I mean by extensible. 
And the, I like this way, the best way of explaining what it is. It's like it's a bunch of apps that are built on top of a database, a very fast flat file database. Uh, and that is, makes it very easy and it's very modular so you can add your own applications into it uh, and your own tools into it and, and make it work with your own unique software. Uh, that we offer a, a, um, a uh, we suggest that it's really a four-step design process. You first of all identify what functionality you need. Uh, in, if your business is looking for new software, where are the pain points? Is it the visualization? Is it the engineering workflow? Uh, is it the cybersecurity aspects? What is it that matters to you most? And then determine how much of Fin Framework you need to use. Uh, then decide. Uh, what extra functionality you're going to need to develop, and maybe maybe a custom driver. Um, we recently um, got new OEMs who've wanted to work with legacy systems, uh, so they've had to develop custom drivers, or we've helped them develop custom drivers. Uh, we do it both ways. We either train people in-house, the in-house developers to do it, or we, we um, offer to do it for them, obviously, uh, there's, there's some cost to that. Uh, and then you select what hardware platform. So one of the things about Fin Frameworks, platform independent, it needs uh, a Java virtual machine in its current incarnation. Uh, so you, as long as it's uh, a Linux platform with JVM or Windows or Mac OS X, we support all of those platforms. And if you're talking about controller level hardware for a handling unit controller or a global controller that's in a panel or a lighting controller, then, then it's typically a more constrained version of Linux platform, um, and you can port Fin to that uh, and, and then uh, work with it that way. We also have a new product coming down the chute in the near future, um, which is called Fin Edge, which will, doesn't require a JVM, uh, which will be a much smaller footprint as a consequence, uh, because the Java virtual machine limits the minimum size of platform that you can really work on. But we can already work very comfortably on a Raspberry Pi uh, so, you know, we're not talking about a very expensive platform here. And then fourthly, um, we, we, you need to create um, or decide which protocols you're going to work with. And we have a, a, a connector framework for um, adding extra um, connections or drivers, as other people call them, to our software. So out of the box, though, Fin Framework already has a load of apps, as I've mentioned, and it's a very much like a sort of iPhone paradigm. You've got lots of apps, um, and uh, one of them is Equipment Graphics, and uh, within that, we leverage the tagging to uh, give you uh, automatic hyperlinking, which is context sensitive. We call it magic bubbles, uh, but it means that they're generated automatically because we have the data tagged. Uh, and we know, well, if you're on a, an equipment graphic, then you probably want to look at the alarms relating to that equipment graphic. So we put up a, bu a button that says, show me the alarms for that, or it, the schedule for that, or, or whatever that's relevant, or the, the PDF of the O&M manual for that equipment. So tagging is used throughout our software. It's based on that. Um, custom graphics, likewise, we, we use the, the tools. There's various wizards and tools that make it much faster to cre create the graphics uh, in an easy way. Uh, the historian, because we have tagged data in the database, then there's powerful roll-up features and you can do baselines very easily and also the data can be exported. Uh, then the control logic. I mentioned earlier that you, if you have tagging, you can relativize your control logic and that's what we do, both for the strategy to control equipment and devices, but also for alarming. We use 
control logic to do smart alarming. So instead of having to have threshold alarms in all the different devices around the system uh, within framework, you can query the data dynamically and then create a more intelligent smart strategy for um, providing a more a better quality of alarm. So instead of it just, is it a threshold? Is it over temperature or not? You can say, is it over temperature over oh, four half an hour? And is and I've checked that the air handling unit and the fan core haven't been turned off for maintenance. You know, this really is an alarm. So that logic gives you a lot more capability. And you do it once, and then you can apply it across the whole site. And you can also use that same relativization for fault detection diagnostics as well. So you can create logic that then automatically looks for faults uh, and does some edge analytics uh, on your on your project. And then we've also got dashboarding, of course, and we support AM charts, which is the largest library of JavaScript widgets available. Um, and and those can be used. Many of those can be used in in our software. Uh, we also support the React, React UI tools, by the way, which is another. We we try and leverage open source as much as we can. All of this is based on this tag database, which, as I mentioned, is very fast uh, and um, very uh, efficient um, for that. And, and uh, just lastly, to mention the other side of it, which is the templating. Now, with, when we get involved with specific manufacturers, um, uh, Siemens is one of our customers and uh, OEM partner, for, and they use it and uh, they have templates for their controllers. So when you discover the BACnet device with the controller, it already has knowledge in the software of that device, so it can automatically build most of the things you need for your system. So it almost automatically configures. Uh, and I did mention cybersecurity, so just to cover it again, you know, we've one of the uh, um, things we've been doing over the last year is really upping our game on cybersecurity because it's really becoming more and more important to everyone, and we're really very confident now that we have a good level of cybersecurity uh, in the industry. We also have a range of open connectors. I'll leave you to look at those later on the slide. And I should mention that we, as you probably guessed, because it's, it's on our logo, we, we were, we're, um, uh, we were started as, we were startup uh, back in 2009, but last year we got bought by Siemens um, and they're now uh, part of the Siemens group. But we're operated as an independent company uh, because our, our business goal is to serve the whole of the market with this open framework. Uh, all different kinds of companies across the whole market. Uh, so Siemens is a customer, and as are other companies who are OEM, some of whom were on NDA, they don't want to reveal that we're using our software. Others are very happy to say, yes, we're powered by Fin Framework, and that's their choice. So uh, we've been expanding a lot, and the great thing about being part of a bigger group is that we now have, uh, uh, you know, especially if you're talking to a manufacturer, they want to know you're going to be in business for the next 10 years because uh, they're getting involved and partnering with you. And we've expanded the business a lot in the last year or so, um, more than doubling the number of employees in that time. So that's me done. Um, hope that was interesting for you and informative. Uh, our aim is to very much, uh, with this doing this webinar and doing the white paper, is to help um, keep people up to date with the latest trends in what's going on in, in this very exciting uh, automation space. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Chris. Yeah, and I think it's just um, a great example of a, of a vendor using Project Haystack. Um, and uh, yeah, it's very valuable. So um, while you're here, I hope people have got questions. Uh, please type them in. Uh, they can be questions about um, 
Project Haystack, how J2 are using it, uh, Thin5, for example, or even if you really want some questions for me um, about our research. Um, yeah, so uh, please go ahead. We've got, we've got around 15 minutes, um, so plenty of time. I think from, from my perspective, Chris, and as I said, like I think one of the really interesting things is just to see how you know a vendor has embraced this kind of new open source technology for you know metadata and tagging um, and, and being able to to get more information out of it. Um, and I think one of the in interesting things for me is it sort of like came from you know the history of, of the J2 innovations and and how that company started because. I think I'm right in saying on it that that you know, you know the the guy that founded the company had a specific need um, and found that it wasn't in the yeah. market. Sure, I mean he he was uh, actually Jason Briggs, who's who was the founder of it and and is still the CEO. Uh, he's um, he was previously running an integrator called ControlWorks in in uh, California, and he did a massive project uh, in the, on the Vegas Strip for a big uh, one of big casino companies. And he did it all um, with open with software on top of BMS controllers, but found the whole process very engineering intensive. And because it was such a big job, I think it was sort of $16 million or something like that value. It's a huge project. It cost him, I realized it cost him an awful lot of engineering time that he thought he could save. And that gave him inspiration to uh, recruit various really smart programmers from uh, in LA uh, and and uh, create J2 innovations. So the first product was called FinBuilder, which was originally a, a graphical user interface designed to work with Niagara Framework, and then uh, that moved on to being the Fin Framework, uh, using the the, the um, haystack tagging as as the basis for it, so that it natively could um, automate a lot of the processes that previously had been been manual. If you didn't, if you hadn't got that tagging in your architecture, it was really hard to to, to achieve the automation. So uh, it, right from the beginning, the whole ethos of the company was about how do we simplify things, and that's very much music to my ears because in my career and and independently of what I'm doing professionally, I love the the idea of simplifying things, um, making. But the irony of it, or the, or the challenge of it, is it's much harder to make things simple than it is to make them complicated. Mm -hmm. And you see this in electrical, electronics and software. You know, someone can design some software and it can be really quite complicated. You, know, you can make some functionality quite easy, but then to hone that so that it actually then becomes easy, intuitive and so on. And, and of course, Apple have been a, a huge proponent of that in the way they've approached things with the, the, the smartphone technology of the iOS and, and a Mac before that. You know, making what was very complicated much easier for you know the uh, the rest of us, as it were. Right. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's very much what day two is about: is is simplifying automation with using the power of tagging. Mm. I, mean, I remember the days when any piece of technology came with a huge manual, and uh, I mean, it's testament to what Apple do that you know that's not the case anymore. Um, you just open the phone works and you know it should be intuitive and and that's um it's a great um example of of, of how you can achieve achieve simplicity um and they yeah so something we we as an industry can learn from and i mean if i look at some of what you went through i think one of the interesting things that um i wanted to ask was um um you mentioned batnet and and knx and that that often BATnet isn't enough on its own. Um, I thought maybe 
could expand on that a little bit because um, I'm sure that's something that people might be asking. Well, they, well, we're using BatNet and you know we can talk to them things, but why? Why then should they also okay. be about about Hayes? Right. So, yeah. So good. Good. Yeah. Good point. Um, okay. So if you if you look at Modbus for a minute, it, it's I don't know those of you who know about Modbus. It's a very basic old protocol. It's very widely used across all the electrical side of the industry just because of the momentum and it's simple and people find it conceptually very easy because basically you have a register which has a number and you put your data in that register. But you have no chance to understand what that data means unless you know from the manufacturer's manual what that register is. So it doesn't even give you the units or it tell you whether it's a binary value or it's, it's what the range of the value is going to be uh, or anything. It's just a value. And that is a very relatively dumb protocol. Now, if we move over to BACnet, BACnet is a much more sophisticated protocol um, and it, it, does, it, it has different object types. So straight away, you know whether something's a binary or a numeric or a string or whatever. So it's got different definitions within its structure that lets you understand what the data is, but it doesn't fully define the, the metadata. For example, the location of the data is is not really fully um, managed and certainly not in a structured way that's an agreed way um, a device under equipment and so on it, it's so it goes halfway there or, or i don't know let's not argue about how far it goes towards but it gets towards a better data standardization but it doesn't go enough that a computer can then just pick up that data and say oh right i know what that means i'm going to analyze that uh, you have to know about the system where it came from and you have or, or you have to spend time adding extra tags in order to achieve that uh, full analysis uh, automatic analytics capability mm -hmm. yeah um, and also backnet doesn't let you automate your processes so the first thing we do when we connect up to backnet ip as the data comes in on the backnet ip connector in fin framework we we apply the tagging process because backnet does contain some of the tags you already need then we add them automatically the software just does it and then you just add the extra bits that it doesn't cater for in order to fully define the data. But once you've done that, you get the payoff. So that takes a bit of time, but then you get the payoff through the rest of the software. Like, as I said, automatic generated graphics and automatic equipment trees and automatic smart alarming, uh, a whole load of things come out and you make way more savings than it ever costs you to tag the data. But that's only true if the software is designed to do that tagging process. And we want to see more of the, uh, the market, you know, moving towards and, and using that, but it is a whole generational issue for software um, to upgrade to to adopt and embrace this tagging. And it and the energy management apps as well. Uh, some of them and the, some of the analytics tools and apps uh, do embrace tagging or are based on tagging. Uh, but that's not true of many others. So uh, again, from the point of view of if you're an end user or making choices about which technology to to go for, which manufacturer or supplier to use. You know, ask some ask some questions about this. You know, is it is it compatible with tagging standard uh, and haystack and so on? And and what's their answer? And that might inform and narrow down your choices as to what you go for. If yeah. you if you agree with what I'm saying that it is valuable and and really I see it as the future of of our data man data management. So, data, people say you know the data is becoming more valuable, and it's it it is true. You know, look look at all the businesses that, that are based on the value of the data they hold. Uh, a lot of the tech companies and so on, it's all about the data. And it's true in buildings as well. Although I have to also say that people are, you know, there's no point, having, as I said at the beginning, no point having the data unless 
you, you've worked out a use case and a value proposition because otherwise you're just doing it for the sake of it. It's a bit like integrating. Oh, I want all my systems integrated in the building. Why? What do I get out of it? You know, and and yeah. it, it's only worthwhile if there's a, a payoff. But there is a payoff, and the and the payoff is you can run your building smarter you know, by mashing up data from different sources and then making more intelligent decisions about how you're going to operate it and and it, you know, and get greater efficiency and sweat your asset if you like if you're a, if you're in it for the rental as a developer, you know, to to get more out of the building space. Mm. Um, but you and and it's particularly when you mash up different data sets from different different systems, I think you get more. Historically, the industry has been very siloed. You know, lighting is separate from HVAC, is separate from electrical power management, is separate from metering, is separate from meeting room booking systems, is separate from uh, locker management, is separate from car parking. You know, but if you put all those together and you join them up. Then, then you get a smarter building. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these new open standards like Haystack are really important for, for integrating systems. Chris, we had some good questions coming for you. Um, i get through as many as I can. Uh, on here, um, you mentioned you have a variety of tags. I assume we're referring to here to FIM5. Are these tags standardized? Um, how do you ensure you have true portability? Okay, so so that's um, that is what Project Haystack's mission is: is to achieve that standardisation. We're not just using any tag. You can add your own custom tags, by the way. I mean, if you want to add in our software and and other people's software that supports tagging, uh, you can add uh, your own tags, of course, because we don't want to confine people just to the Haystack tags. But the point of having a standard tag for things that are common uh, is that. And then everyone knows what you're talking about and you, and you the software will automatically work whereas if everything's custom tags then there's no standardization so project haystack has defined a really big library of tags for all the things that you need in the hvac domain certainly all the way from boilers our handling units chillers pumps uh, zone controls room controls things like that, that that's all defined there's some definition of other, other fields as well, and we're expanding it, and that's what the working groups are doing. And I'm very keen to see more people from other domains coming in. Mm -hmm. uh, I was dealing at the, the recent London event, there was someone from Holland who was working with geothermal technology, and I thought, well, there's bound to be some tags um, that we haven't thought of that you need for geothermal, and you know, get involved in a working group, define what those tags are, so that everyone uses the same ones. And likewise, I mean, at Smart Building Show, where we were, I was speaking on a similar topic recently, uh, someone came up to me, he was doing Legionella monitoring. And I thought, oh, that's you've got chemical dosage, dosage concentrations or, or whatever that you need to have as a tag for that. Mm -hmm. And again, that would be something you'd have to extend the standard and create a tag for it that is standardized. But all the stuff that you need commonly in building automation is already defined. It's already standardized and you just go on the website and you you can see them all there or they're all fully defined for what the tags you need to use and with haystack 4 which as i mentioned is out for public review there's now a full data structure and how those tags relate to one another with an ontology and, and taxonomy uh, that um, uh, defines their relationship between them and and in, in how that in the hierarchy as well of classification yeah uh, next question um can you or do you have, or can you show a demo of some of the tagging tools you mentioned? If they go on to the FIN5 website, can they see some more information about some of those um, tools you mentioned? 
yes, I we I normally do that, or our sales team normally do that in the process of of engaging with people about Thin Framework. Um, so yes, we have demo software which we then show in in early meetings when we're engaging with with potential customers are interested in this mm -hmm. um, and then we would show them the tools and how the tagging process works and we also offer a, a thing called take thin for a spin which in English works I don't know how many people from other other countries but in, in English you have this thing where you take take a car for a spin you know to test it out a test drive if you like and uh, so we do that and that's a remotely a remote session which we do for sort of about three hours but it's a hands-on process of, of going through building a project using the tag data pulling it in from backnet tagging it and then using it to automatically create things and that would exercise the tools as well and, and people would get familiar with them that way okay. so there's there's a number of different ways but i mean if you're interested then just you know give me a call uh, or, or email me um and you can find me on linkedin if we're not but uh, i didn't put my email address that was a mistake wasn't it? i didn't put my email address on the presentation maybe i can add that but it's chris i at j2in.com Okay. Uh, so, uh, but uh, by by you know just can't get in get in touch and uh, happy to to discuss it further with you. Good. And there's another question here about Finn. Um, what what is the, uh, the 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 costing model for this? Is it is it annual licenses or or more um, software as a service ongoing? Yeah. Um, no, it's it's not software as a service. Uh, we uh, we operate on license model. So. Uh, because of the way buildings work, you know, typically you're buying a control system when the building is new and, and you know, you, the control specialist is purchasing a system and that includes software. Um, and so they want a price and they buy it and that's it and that's it. It's, I mean, technically with software, it's always licensed rather than owned, but that's true of all software. Mm -hmm. um, but, but it is a product you pay for once and that's it. Um, but in this world uh, now, there is a need for frequent upgrades, and particularly uh, because of cybersecurity, there's always evolving threats. So software needs to be patched, as we're all aware with Windows and whatever operating system we're using and programs, they're updating themselves almost daily or weekly with stuff. So we we are patching our software as new things come to light, or and, and obviously we want to enhance it as well over time. So like other software businesses now, we we do offer a software, what we call a software maintenance agreement, which is where you, you pay an annual fee and it covers all patches and upgrades. Um, you don't have to do that though. So if you don't want, you get 12 months of that anyway, when you buy it, that's built into the, the license price. But if you if you want to carry on with that afterwards, that's your choice. But if you didn't, didn't, then if you three years down the line decide you want to have an upgrade, then, then we say, well, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, you need to pay the maintenance for that period and now you can have the upgrade. Um, so it kind of makes sense. and the, the the percentage of that, it's about, I think our um, upgrade, oh, sorry, our maintenance uh, charge annually is about sort of 18% or so of the original license price. But that's very much in line, in fact, slightly cheaper than a lot of other software applications uh, in terms of the, the cost to maintain. Yeah, so um, I don't think, unfortunately, we're gonna get through all of these questions. A lot will come in, uh, but let's let's do our best. Let's, let's try and uh, get at least another three. Yeah. Uh, first one, how do you ensure that um, the defined relationship are sufficient? Um, is there a way for a user to define a specific relationship and extend the ontology? Is this specific? Yes, it does include a methodology in, in Haystack 4. I would recommend you go look at the website and read it up. And if you want, again, contact me if you want to have further discussion. But yes, there is a way. It, it, even if you don't like the data structure that Haystack has defined, you can use the same methodology 
technology to extend it or, or create a different one. Okay. And then that, I think that ties into another question here then about um, if, uh, how do you future-proof um, the tagging investment, in inverted commas, um, if my customer spends time tagging within Fin Framework and then decided to move platform, how would that tagging be transferred? But I suppose it's because it's in the, the Haystack framework, as long as the other platform used Haystack, it wouldn't matter, would it? Absolutely. That, that's exactly the point. And that, that, that's, that's spot on. I mean, it, it is quite, this is completely open standard stuff. The, the, the idea is that you make the data completely portable. And that's why your investment is future proof. Because if I don't think if you just make a different choice about manufacturer, then as long as they also have software that supports Haystack, then you would be able to use all the data just as straight away. Good. One last question. Um, sorry to the people that um, we didn't get to uh, get your ask question, but I'll just finish with this one. Um, how automatic is tagging with a Siemens uh, PXC100 controller? That would have to be a question for Siemens because I'm not that close to their product range to know uh, exactly. But I do know that, that they are um, having, uh, they recently launched um, uh, Dezigo Optic in the US market, I think. Um, and they, they are, have created templates for a lot of their products, but I don't know uh, the detail of that at all. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, look, um, we've we've finished. We've actually gone over time. So, Chris, appreciate um, you taking the time to do this, and for everyone for listening and and um, the questions that were put in. As I said at the start, like we did record this, so um, I'm going to be posting that up online um, later on, uh, either today or tomorrow. Um, you'll be able to find that on YouTube and on our website. There'll be a link, and there will also be a link to um, the white paper that we have collaborated on with J2 Innovations, if you haven't already downloaded that. Um, so yeah, it just remains me to say thanks, Chris. Really appreciate you taking the time today. All right, well, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity. Uh, I hope it was uh, useful for people. Yes, thanks. absolutely. Thank um, you very much. One last uh, thing, if, if people do want to get a hold of you, um, you mentioned your email address earlier, perhaps one last time. Yes, yeah, one more time, yes. Uh, and, Oh, well, I could put it on the slides before I send it to you, couldn't I? But it's chrisi at j2inn.com. And obviously the website domain is, is www.j2in.com. Great. Thanks again. And okay. goodbye, everybody. Cheers, then. Bye-bye.